That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Welcome back to the Celtics Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my boy, the man, the myth, the legend, Brendan Nunes. Wagwan, Brendan. What's going on, man? I got a lot to live up to after that intro. I appreciate you. I gave um, you the English slang word of the day straight away as well. Wagwan, bruv. Yeah, wagwan, bruv. It's um, what's going on, all mixed into one word. I've heard it used in like Jamaican, like people that are, you know, like Drake loves to act like he's super Islander. And I've definitely heard that dropped in like a Jamaican sense. Yeah, so it's definitely a Jamaican word. Um, it's kind of been adopted amongst English socialect. So it's just used everywhere. But there you go, there's your English words of the day. So there's, this is the Around the League episode. There's been quite a bit going on around the league over the last few days. Most notably, Kenny Atkinson departing from Brooklyn. Yeah, how crazy is that, man? I mean, it was super oh. out of nowhere. I, I definitely was very shocked to see that notification. Yeah, and so then all the stuff the that comes out, it's like, all right, I guess this was kind of going to happen for a while. So I was in the mall shopping with the wife and kid. Um, it's like Saturday, so it's busy. Was it Saturday? It was Saturday or Sunday. I think it was a weekend, yeah. Yeah, it's Saturday because I remember picking my kid up from a party and going straight to the mall. So it's Saturday, it's it's like hella busy, and then my phone pings, so I check it to see if it's important, and it's that Kenny Atkinson news. So like the whole world's moving around me, and I'm too busy tweeting about it. Like, what's going on? Um, lost my wife, lost my kid, had to go find them. <laughs> <laughs> But it's crazy, right? Like I just did not see that coming. That came straight out of left field for me. Yeah, I mean, you think like that Kenny did a great job there in really setting the the culture. And we mentioned it a second before we press record that like KD had mentioned him as a reason he was looking forward to going there. And him and Kyrie both had pointed to the culture. And I thought a lot of that was due to Kenny Atkinson and just really accelerating this team's progression. Obviously, D'Lo is a big part. Then you look at like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, but he seemed like a very good developmental coach. And, you know, to be fair, the developmental coaches and the guys that are going to get you championships are not always the same. Like I think of obviously Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr is a great example. Mark Jackson did a great job of developing Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, and all those guys, but he was never going to get them to that championship level. And I guess that's maybe the thought here, um, but you got to kind of think what other candidates are out there, you know? Yeah, so one of the big things for me that was how Brooklyn's such an analytical team, and you sent me an article that kind of reaffirmed everything I'm about to say. So shout out, is it Brian Reinhardt? It is Billy Reinhardt on Mets Daily. Yeah, he my apologies. My apologies. Eighteen different candidates. He he did a great job with this. I'll definitely be sure to tweet it out. So the one thing he pointed out, which is something that kind of stuck in my mind before I'd read the article as well, just like from a perception point of view, was that the Nets are a very analytical team, and Kenny Atkinson was such a big proponent of analytical-led basketball that when they start looking for a replacement, whoever they choose to kind of take that role is going to need to be a very analytical 
analytically minded or analytically open minded coach. Right. And that had him very quickly cut out a couple different guys that made sense. You know, like Jason Kidd had a time in Brooklyn. I think in Brooklyn was where he had that hilarious moment where he spilled a drink on the floor intentionally. Do you remember this? Yeah, that was hilarious. Wasn't that? um, Like, you never even hold a drink as coaches. Like, he just grabbed one and then instantly, like, bumped into someone. It was so funny. Wasn't he out of timeouts? Wasn't that what it was? Yeah, he wanted a timeout. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. I remember that vividly. That is that is hilarious. Um, and then I'm not sure so, that was with Milwaukee though. It might have been, but either way, Jason Kidd was in Brooklyn for a little while, um, and also when he was in Milwaukee, I mean, he just was regarded as the worst coach at the time, pretty much. And you know, getting replaced by Budenholzer, I guess, is is a big update, no matter because Budenholzer is just a great coach, but. Kid is not a guy that's going to be analytical. Same with Tom Thibodeau, who's a name you'll hear thrown out there. Um, so I think it's easy to mark those off. And then Mark Jackson is an interesting one um, because, but again, like that's a developmental guy. But you do think of, you know, he somewhat can have a connection with some of these guys. And the thing is, it, like, are they just looking for guys that KD and Kyrie like? You know? I mean, that's going to be the be all and end all, right? They're, I'm sure they're definitely going to have a say on whoever gets hired backtracking really quickly would speak about Budenholzer when he came into Milwaukee he was everybody was saying he was a great coach because he was a developmental coach now he's developed that team into a championship contender and he's being allowed yeah. to to have a crack at a whip you know I mean so I understand the narrative that you've got developmental coaches and then you've got championship coaches and they both perform different tasks and they're both necessary within like the landscape of the league. But to say that Kenny Atkinson was a developmental coach and that's part of the reason why he's left, when you look over to Milwaukee, who hired a developmental coach and now they're probably favourites, definitely favourites to come out the East. It, it kind of, something doesn't smile right to me from that perspective. I don't know if you agree with me on this. Yeah, I think you could maybe argue that Budenholzer isn't quite like a picture perfect guy that you would use as an example of a developmental coach. Cause you think of like that 60 win season in Atlanta. I think they went to Eastern conference finals for a while there um, with Horford, Millsap, Teague and that lineup. I think uh, Joe Johnson was on that team as well. So I, I think he had a little bit more success, but I see where you're coming from. And I think the point is that like, you don't have to only be one or the other. Like Popovich is obviously an extreme example, but that guy is developing talent regularly getting steals of players and winning championships and <clears throat> excuse me it's a really good rebuttal i like so, that so you you can be both and i think that was somewhat your point here but I, I think that the logic or the justification that the nets are making that you could put behind it is that maybe this guy wasn't going to get you over the hump and it was weird timing but from the shams piece it felt like kenny Atkinson was like listen if you're gonna fire me just do it now like i'm not I don't want to wait for this. Yeah, if you know you're going to be gone at the end of the season, why wait until the end of the season? I, I agree with that right. to a perspective. Like, as a man, I'm like, if I'm on the way out the door already, then just let me walk out the door. Right. And it's interesting that, you know, there's their assistant comes in. I think it's Jack is how you pronounce the first name. J-A-C-Q-U-E, Vaughn. And inst- instantly starts DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen. Yeah, which is crazy to me. Like, 
Jarrett Allen is going to be the future center of that team for a while. You want to help. You want to be running him with the first team and getting him accustomed to playing against first team talent. Right, but DJ is the guy that's clearly linked to your stars. You know, exactly. they were like, we're going there. So it's almost like, all right, you're clearly doing this to keep the stars happy. And I was listening to Duncan and Hollinger talk about it a little bit, and they were saying that, you know, it, it does make the PR somewhat easier that if you play DJ and then he plays bad, you can be like, okay, that's why we're benching him. But if you start Jared Allen and he's kind of mediocre, the vet behind him and DJ is always going to be like, man, I could do better than that. So like, you know, I guess I somewhat get that, but I mean, it kind of screams that you're just really trying to keep Katie and Kyrie happy, which to be fair, they're two ridiculously good players. That is important, you know? Yeah. And I mean, keeping them happy is great when they're on the floor, when you go, when both of those guys are on the injury table, and they haven't. They're not playing basketball at the moment. What, why do you need to worry about their happiness? That's something you worry about in the off season. You worry about integrating them back in. How you could say that these two guys were unhappy when they weren't at practice every day, actually playing ball? It, it seems to me like they want. They've come in and like if we are looking at it as they had to say, which we don't know. We can't assume. It definitely smells that way. They might they- have. They definitely have a perception that they are not easy people to keep happy either. Yeah, well, we've as Celtics fans, we've experienced the Kyrie roller coaster, right? And you know, we we all know about KD a little bit there too. Yeah, and, he's and it's Twitter funny, gold, that, dude. Right, right, and it's funny that there's this tweet from Shams, right? And it says, and this is from the article. It says a directive from KD or Kyrie was not given to fire Atkinson, but. The quote from the article is, Katie and Kyrie never connected with Atkinson, but there was a belief that they did not have interest in playing for him when the Nets are a whole again next season. And what is the difference between those two statements? Like, we didn't tell you to fire him. We just said that, you know, we probably didn't want to play for him. Like, what do you mean? That's, and it's not a quote directly from Katie or Kyrie. It says there was a belief that they did not. But like, to me, that's just PR stuff. You know, like. Yeah, it's basically, hey, we want a new coach next year. Right, which, you know, I mean, I guess they just want someone that they're going to be friends with, and the hope is that the talent is good enough that, like, you don't need some amazing coach, really, you know? Yeah, and I I agree to that. I agree with that to an extent, but when it comes down to the playoffs and schemes need to be made, I feel like a coach has such a big impact on a team that's overlooked a lot of times because of the talent that they have that you can put whoever you want on the floor, but if the coaching and the scheme isn't right, then it's never going to be good enough. But I think there's times you can get away with it. Like if you look at like Ty Lue, I mean, obviously you have LeBron. That's that's an extreme. And LeBron is so smart that, I mean, people will say that he's pretty much the coach of these teams, you know. Um, but then you look at like Scott Brooks, I don't think he's a very good coach. You're kind of seeing that in Washington. I don't think he's necessarily bad, but I don't think he's like this, top tier coach and he's taking OKC to the finals when they have uh, Kevin Durant that we're kind of talking about here. So I think as long as you don't have a bad coach, if you have this ridiculous of talent, which the Nets will have next year, that you could get away with it as long as it's not bad and he's not making them worse. So then I, I agree there. I kind of still feel like there comes a point where you come up against a team that is well coached and well drilled that have done their homework on you and learn how to isolate you out of plays that 
that's where the coaching really kicks in. It may not be what changes the game, but it's definitely yeah. what can alter possessions down the stretch. Right. I think that's fair. I mean, you have to have a guy that's going to be like, okay, listen, we're going to go to a Kyrie KD pick and roll and there's just absolutely nothing that they're going to be able to do about it because I mean, you would think that the players would get to that themselves, but even just little things like that, small adjustments of, okay, we're going to run these guys off the three point line um, or, you know, yeah, just little so things. I mean, Mike, it definitely can make I, a difference. Uh, no, Michael Pina actually released an article for SB nation as well detailing certain play calls that Kenny Atkinson had made recently. What, like um, there was a game where they were running double stack screens and it was like down to the last few possessions of the game and the double stack wasn't working. The other team knew exactly what was coming, but Atkinson was persisting with it because it was kind of like, hey, this is the best chance we've got to score. Now, if you And he goes on to say, if you run that same double stack action with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, you pretty much get the bucket every time. But you... But, because those two guys weren't on the floor, teams were able to adjust and basically nullify the, the risk coming off that pick and roll action. Right. He wasn't dealt a very good hand. Like, no. But he knows that this is, year was all about next, you know? The difference is a great coach like would be able to be like, and I'm not saying that Kenny Atkinson isn't a great coach because I rate him quite highly, but a great coach would, have be, would find a way to okay, that double screen action is not working, so we're going to run that double screen and go into a pin down on the corner and get the man cutting back door. You know, that those little adjustments that you can make right. on the fly. And, and that's where I think a coach really shows his worth. We're kind of getting off track here, but I, I definitely feel like um, ATOs and isolation plays where coaches are able to kind of bark out orders for the, sec- for the play that comes after the ISO play on the next possession they become very valuable during the playoffs, less so in the regular season. Yeah. And I think like one of the main differences of a guy that maybe is a good developmental coach and not a good high talent coach is that, okay, when you have guys that have limited skill sets, you can put them in positions where they are completely utilizing their strengths and hiding their weaknesses. But when you have guys that can just absolutely do everything, then what are you doing? And then's where it gets a little bit more difficult. And we saw Atkinson, you know, like if your main guy is D'Angelo Russell, you run a pick and roll pretty pretty much every freaking time because that's what D'Lo is good at. But if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie that can do everything on the offensive end, what do you do to kind of mix it up? But Kenny didn't get a really good chance to to show that. And I mean, I think he's he's very clearly going to end up with another coaching opportunity probably next year. And that leads us on to other coaches that Reinhardt kind of lent into. So he looked at both the Van Gundy brothers. Personally, I don't see that happening. I think they're a little outdated would be the worry, you know? Well, that's the same way you describe Mark Jackson. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think they're, they're very fair concerns. And I think that there's better candidates out there. With the two being the two that I like the most from the article being Popovich and D'Antoni. Yeah, the Popovich thing is just, I, I really struggled to see him leaving. Like, it, it's just, it's a lot to, I, I, to get behind for me. I, I think that just being in San Antonio for, shoot, I don't have it in front of me, a ridiculous amount of time. What is it, 20, I, I, I don't know. years? I think that's the amount of time they made the playoffs in a row. I don't know if he was there for all of them. 
but he's been there for a ridiculous amount of time, you know, and like part of me just thinks, and this is just my assumption oh, yeah, that Pop seems like the guy that wants to just stay there, you know? So, I mean, obviously that, that is your best situation. Yeah. If you get Popovich on that team, then they're definitely title favorites next year. Yeah. And you feel damn good about moving on from Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, and you, Dan- it's a justifiable decision at that point. Yeah. And then the D'Antoni thing, I mean, we talked Brooklyn really wanting analytics. D'Antoni's that guy, right? I mean, like he's the one to jump all in on it. You see him do it with Houston. You saw him do it a little bit with um, the seven seconds or less sun sort of thing. And he's just an offensive mastermind. And I think that that could be, I mean, D'Antoni is a, a really good coach. And I think that he is able to, he's shown an ability to adjust to his talent around him. So yeah, be, especially with the small ball rockets. Right. So, I I mean, I think, and I don't think that's the only style he can play or anything. Like, I think he'd be fine if he had Jared Allen and could figure that out. You know, he had Clint Capella looking decent for a while. Um, So, I I think that he's definitely a guy that could could be a real possibility. And you've heard a lot of potential about D'Antoni not returning next year. Although, I think that might look a little different now that they've kind of fully bought into this. Like, the Rockets are looking a lot better recently. Celtics got a little taste of that. Yeah, the Rockets, it's crazy how they've gone so small and he's revolutionized the way they play. That fight, and you pointed this out as well, and then I've spoke about it and I've wrote about it as well. That five-out system that they're using has become a really big issue for teams because they've got so many dribble-drive threats that he's basically saying, right, we're going to let all you guys go to work on the dribble-drive and you've got kick-out options all over the court. Yeah. And, bec- and because they're having guys like Harden and Westbrook, and I mean, Daniel House played a great game against the Celtics. Yeah. And, you know, Daryl Morey was just on the low post pod and kind of talking about fully embracing this small ball thing. And he said it was more about Russell Westbrook than James Harden. Like James Harden obviously was getting double teamed the second he crossed half court. And, you know, it's like, and he, what did he, de- what did he describe it as? He said, uh, when you bring Clint Capella there, it's kind of just a, babysat double teamed or like an escorted double team because Capella is just standing there, but like they can ignore Capella if he's screening at half court, what sort of threat is he? And you can sag off Westbrook because Westbrook's a non-threat from outside. So now you only have one of those and Westbrook is all about driving. Like, you know, in OKC Westbrook never had spacing and we saw it in that Boston game, I think is the best example. He went ridiculous in that one. Um, with 41 points and then just every time he blew past someone you can't help off Westbrook's a ridiculous passer so he said really that was more focused around Westbrook um, but you know very big props to Dan Tony and he credited Daryl Morey did that is credited Dan Tony for really being the one to to kind of force his hand here with the whole Capella thing because he just was seeing how successful this small ball was so yeah, bringing it back to the Nets thing, I mean, I think that you land D'Antoni and you, you definitely feel good about that. Yeah, I'd feel like he'd be able to come up with some schemes that would make Kyrie and Durant even more unguardable than what that duo already seems to be. Yeah, I could definitely do that. And then he, um, Billy Reinhardt mentions Brett Brown, which I guess there's some questions with obviously what's going on in Philadelphia this year, but I don't... I don't know how I feel about Brett Brown. You know, like he's been um, there for a long time. Yeah, like and it's like... in there through the process thing. I just feel like if he can't get it done with 
that Sixers roster, then what made, and then obviously they're saying there's locker room issues over in Philadelphia. Fine, they're having their own issues behind closed doors. But what makes you think that it's going to be any different on a team that's got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving? I think you could maybe say that the roster is constructed better because like maybe oh, sure. you, know, you could get away with saying roster. that Philly's problem really is the roster rather than the coach. Oh, no, no matter what, it's definitely the roster. But what I'm saying is when you're hearing that there's locker room, like a, div- a divided locker room, and then Brad Stevens got heat for this last year. Why can't he get everyone pulling in the same direction? It was something that was said a lot about Brad. Right. Well, that same question is getting asked to Brett Brown right now. Your job as a coach is to get everybody on the same page and pulling towards the one, the one goal, right? And that's the most important thing probably for Brooklyn because they have the talent. Exactly. But if you're not able to do that in Philadelphia, what's going to be so different in Brooklyn? Right. That, that's right. my outlook on it. I think he's a good coach. I feel like he, he wouldn't be a bad fit there. But if, you're, if he's struggling to get a bunch of guys in Philly that are all hungry and Joel Embiid is highly competitive, so is Ben Simmons. You've got Al Horford there who's meant to be your veteran calming presence. I know Celtics fans' opinion of him are split. If you can't get all of those guys pulling in the same direction, how are you going to focus Kyrie Irving? How are you going to keep Kevin Durant's mind off of social media and on winning chips? That's my... It's totally fair. And then he also does mention that Sean Marks has a previous connection with uh, Brett Brown from both of their times in San Antonio. So that could account to it as well. So yeah, I'd be... I wouldn't be too happy with Brett Brown I'd be skeptical but I, I mean you could, you could do worse I don't feel like it justifies moving on from Atkinson I feel it's a very lateral move yeah that's fair but I, I mean maybe if Katie and Kyrie like Brown and they didn't like Atkinson is that enough you know because I mean you kind of just got to keep those guys happy which is yeah stupid, I'm looking at, it is what it is I'm looking at this from a coaching talent level like what yeah is bringing in Brett Brown an increased coaching talent than what you've just let walk out the front door? I don't think it is. I feel like um, D'Antoni and Popovich are both justifiable. We lost Kenny Atkinson, but by getting one of those two guys, we've brought in a higher caliber of coach. We're completely justified in the decision we've just made. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. The thing is, is that I don't even know if they are looking for a better coach. Like I said, I, I kind of think their priority is just making Katie and Kyrie happy, even if it's a worse coach. Oh yeah. I agree that that's probably what they're doing. It's just for my, me personally, as a personal opinion, I just feel like if you were worried, I mean, we've both mentioned on this podcast so far today, the PR side of things, right? The optics, right? If, if that's something that they are truly concerned about, then having uh, increased coaching talent is going to be part of that PR and optics. Right. And then so uh, it's weird, dude. They've put themselves in such a weird position. They really have. And then the next one that he mentions is Terry Stotts. Um, this one I don't see very much. His argument was sort of that, you know, Lillard McCollum Scotts have gone through this for a while and something needs to change and you're going to change your coaches before you change your stars, which is totally reasonable. But I think that Portland can feel fine saying that the issue is just the ridiculous amount of injuries that they had because 
you know, I mean, when you get rid of Aminu and Harkless, who are your two like athletic wing defenders, and then your two other defenders that you really have in John Collins and Joseph Nurkic go down. I mean, that's why there's just no defense on that team. So I don't quite see Stotts going anywhere. And then the other two, and I'm keen to kind of wrap this part of the podcast up. We've touched on it quite heavily. So we'll speak on the other two and then we'll make, we'll kind of see which one each of us think would be the best fit. So the well-regarded ones that he's mentioned are Tyrone Lou and Becky Hammond. Yeah, I like the idea of Ty Lue somewhat. Uh, he has a connection with Kyrie, even though there is some question between about their relationship from their time in Cleveland. Um, but he's definitely a respected guy around the league, and that seems important. He seems personable and to get along with his players. So that one that one interests me, and then. He makes really good points about Hammond, you know, being a rookie coach. There'd be all the media behind her as being the first female assistant head coach along with Katie and Kyrie and being in a big market. It kind of just seems like a lot. And again, I mean, you're comparing it to Atkinson. I don't feel like either one of these are an upgrade, but you have some sort of connection with Lou already before that I think maybe could justify it. And he's probably one of the easiest guys to bring in and say, like, hey, he's a championship coach. He's won rings. Right. I, I think that there there definitely is something to that. Yeah, you because regardless of the, the drop-off in coaching talent, he's won championships with superstar-caliber players. He knows how to handle the egos. He knows what's required during crunch time. And he's bringing somebody in when they've already got rings on their finger, kind of commands a respect among itself, right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I can't, can't argue that at all. So out of all the possibilities we've just mentioned, who do you feel would be the most likely candidate? Probably Ty Lu. Yeah, I'm going uh, with Ty Lu too. Yeah, he's an assistant right now. You know, of course, he's going to want a head coaching job. And as long as him and Kyrie's relationship is fine, I think that's the one that probably makes the most sense to me. And obviously the dreams are Pop or D'Antoni. So obviously this isn't a Brooklyn podcast. So the last thing I want to do before we go to break is who, what other coaches around the league do you feel like are really going to be struggling who may lose their job at the end of the year? Well, you know, I do my Sacramento stuff and the Walton situation is Interesting. He definitely felt like he was on the hot seat for a while, but the way that they've been performing recently and being really hot after the all-star break and making a push for the playoffs, he's probably not going to be on his way out, especially considering he's got a four-year deal. I think the obvious one is, is Jim Boylan because the whole way that this Chicago situation is getting handled, I mean, you got to look there and kind of think that the talent level that he has, he should be performing better than he is. Even though I, I think he's, decent as like a defensive coach and maybe some X's and O's, but when your quote unquote star player, I guess if you want to call Levine, that is just getting caught talking crap about you on the floor and things like that. I think that like, why would a, why would anyone want to go to Chicago right now? You know? And I think you could put a decent amount of that on Boylan. 
do you expect I feel like that would be probably one of the best fits for Atkinson to kind of move over to to slide into that role for sure for sure um yeah he definitely could use a young team like that I think that would be a really good one and then JB Bickerstaff just got that four-year extension today actually so that's interesting it looks like he's going to be in Cleveland for a while See, that's what shocked me the most. I, I was expecting Cleveland to stand pat until the summer and see what was available. Yeah, so was I. And then you would have thought an Atkinson thing, you know, but I, I think that he has been definitely doing well for them. Um, and J.B. Bickerstaff has had a lot of, he's been an interim coach a lot because he just happens to be the assistant where guys are getting fired. But I think that he has potential I, I think he can be a decent coach. You know, I don't think there's very many bad coaches in the league. Like, I think there's some guys that maybe you could do better, but I don't think there's very many that are just absolutely screwing you over. Yeah, I mean, the coaching level to get there is kind of like the, the player level to get there, right? You have to work your way up through the different systems to be able to become get yourself on an NBA level radar unless you're an ex-pro. Right, and you got to keep it up or you're going to get replaced real quick. And, yeah, and then the super other one, competitive. I guess, right, which is, which is great for the league. And then the other one, I think Ryan Sanders is, Saunders is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, you like question, is he just getting the job because of his dad, obviously? Um, and he just hasn't been a great coach, but, you know, he doesn't have that much time to work with it. Cat's been injured, the whole getting D'Lo thing. And, and he is a player's coach, which is, which is important. Like it's the same thing as the Walton thing. If you can get your guys playing hard for you, it was definitely said that him and Wiggins had a really good relationship, which obviously doesn't matter as much anymore with Wiggins out of there, but they have a really good offense. Like you would expect them to uh, defense isn't there, but they don't have anybody that can actually play defense. So you kind of got to look at that too, but how's Wiggins been doing in, in golden state? I haven't seen any, really any games. He's he's all right. I mean, it's kind of what you would expect of Wiggins. I think that people have been somewhat surprised of his defense, but I think even in Minnesota, he kind of turned up the defensive effort a little bit this year. So I don't know, nothing nothing overwhelmingly impressive or anything. I think he is a little worse than D'Lo, but they're not that far apart when you consider that D'Lo is just like a terrible defender. Um, and... Wiggins fits next to Curry and Clay when they're back and D'Lo obviously doesn't. So that's going to leave us, lead us into a break. When we come back, we want to touch on this coronavirus pandemic that's spreading through the world like wildfire and causing havoc to sporting and social events worldwide. Kind of scary stuff. So Brendan, I don't know what it's like where you are, but where I am, it's starting to get um, quite intense with this coronavirus coverage, especially in the media. It definitely is. You know, uh, I'm from San Jose originally in Santa Clara County, and they just put out something yesterday that the SAP Center there, the big stadium where the San Jose Sharks play, the hockey team is going to be uh, completely shut down for a month, pretty much. They're canceling a bunch of Cirque Soleil shows. They're Sharks games, which luckily they're on a road trip. There's only going to be about three games that are going to be postponed. Um, and like, a, I think there's a Mark Anthony concert there or something. But yeah, they're postponing everything and trying to get rid of just these public gatherings. And, you know, like at the Kings game I was at a couple of days ago, 
it's hilarious. You know how they, I don't know if you've ever seen this, that they like drop things from the Raptors with parachutes, right? Sometimes like it'll be yeah, like in cards, different places. I think they dropped 5,000 masks that people could put on their faces from the stadium last game. It's, it's, people are very aware of this. Um, so, and Chase Center is doing a bunch of things. You know, uh, I think the NBA is doing that thing now where the media is not allowed in the locker room. And there's going to be like, you have to keep, what do they say, four to six feet of distance between you and the players. And so, I mean, people are definitely very concerned about this. Yeah, and there should be. I mean, it is a, it is quite a frightening thing, especially for. I understand where people are coming from. Like, yeah, hey, I'm young. You know, it's if I get it, I'm only going to get mild symptoms. But it's the risk that you can pass that on to an elderly family exactly. member that really starts to strike home. Here, over here, it hasn't been that bad until like the last three or four days. Like, there was a point like a week ago where I was thinking, hey, it's just going to miss England. Like, it, it, we haven't had any cases. Then we had one, then two. They were all far away. Then today there was like, right now there's five right by your house. And it's like, when it gets close is when it starts to seem real. The same as everything. Um, I understand completely why they're considering, well, I wouldn't say playing behind closed doors, but if it continues, soccer's already started to postpone games in Europe. Yeah, I know Italy did that, right? But Italy's just on complete lockdown, dude. Like, yeah. um, you need a reason to be at your house or you can get escorted to back home or taken wow. to jail. Like, wow. it is on lockdown. Um, according to media here, we're about 14 days away from being put in the same protocol. Um, So it's kind of a when, not if. Which I'm chill with. Like, I got league pass and, you know, I'm I'm an indoorsy guy I can get stuff done so I'm not too worried about that but again that's kind of looking at it from a selfish point of view when you're looking at it as from a world point of view to be able to have to start locking down cities and countries you can understand why the NBA are taking the precautions they are because the last thing they want to do is stop the entertainment machine that's running at the moment but they have to value the players and the fans health and welfare, first and foremost, regardless of how popular a decision that actually turns out to be. Right. And have you seen the the cruise ship in California where people are just stranded on a cruise ship and they don't want to bring them in anywhere? Yeah, I read about this, dude. Like, um, they're American citizens as well, right? They are. And there was somebody that came down with it. I believe it was an elderly person that, that died. And then, obviously, everyone was overly concerned about it because you're in very close contact and everybody just got locked in their rooms. Um, a, I, I, when I work at this place on the weekend, sometimes I frequent a certain restaurant and the waitress there that I talk to all the time, her boyfriend is on the ship and it's crazy that, you know, I mean, she's like, I mean, he's still got rent to pay and he can't go to work and all this. And they're just abandoned there. And I believe today they finally docked in Oakland and they're planning on bringing them off. But it is, it is definitely something that, I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. Hey, I'm not considerably older, but I've got a few years on you and I haven't seen anything this bad. But at the same time, governments and organizations such as the NBA, such as the NFL, the NHL, Premier League soccer, Serie A soccer, they need to take precautions because 
when you're having 20, 30, upwards of 20,000 people in one space, and then, you know, it only takes one person there to get it and to touch a handrail and everybody that touches that handrail, because this is a, this is a virus that's spread via contact, not via, it's not airborne. You can't get it from talking to somebody, but if that, if you touch them or touch something they've touched and then touch your face or your eyes or anywhere around like that region of your body, then you're going to infect yourself. So you can see how easily one person could transmit it to the masses. And it does make sense why they're making these decisions. Right. And I mean, obviously there is concerns, you know, I like to try to go to these Kings games and tomorrow they play the Pelicans. And of course I want to go see Zion and all this, but there's a lot of hesitation in, in going. And I mean, I think that a lot of people are obviously feeling that. And yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can do about it. Obviously just, keep yourself clean and be washing your hands and all that. And don't be touching your face. And obviously, yeah, like you're saying, stay away from all the things that are just commonly handled by the mass population. So. And I mean, to add a bit of light a bit of humor and a bit of lightness for this. If I think I'm looking at a lockdown a lot sooner than what you are by the sounds of it. Thank God for League Pass because I can ca- I can rewatch every game of the season, right? You, you know, like they're talking about locking us down for two weeks. I mean, being reporters in this, I think we're pretty used to kind of being on a voluntary lockdown. Well, this is why grind, I said I'm an, grinding this out. You know, I'm an indoorsy guy, dude. If you you tell me I don't have to go to work for two weeks and I can stay at home, like, right? You best believe that my laptop's gonna need extra charging ports somewhere because I'm right. gonna. I mean, I'm about to have an article a day. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. I'm close to that anyway. Um, true. No, but seriously, jokes aside, it's hella scary. But at the same time, I'm all for all precautions anybody needs to take, as long as the Definitely. league pass service stay active with the extra strain that I'm going to be adding on them for everybody else, <laughs> and the two K servers are up and running. There you go. I haven't played 2K in so long. Dude, me either. Me either. I forgot about it. Yeah, I've got like four left to get that pink diamond. Um, Giannis. Giannis. Yeah, like, that's how long it's been, bro. Well, dude, they dropped so many cards every time. So we're talking about my team, obviously. Whenever you get to the all-star break, they just drop all these busted cards where like now anyone you run into is just going to have an absolute ridiculous team. So this is kind of the point of the year where I check out anyways. Yeah. I've kind of like, I'm just too busy to like the NBA season is really in full swing right now. So my attention goes directly to that. It goes to what the Celtics are doing. It goes to what other teams are doing that can affect yeah. the Celtics. I'm having a lot of fun with the NBA right now. We, we, I, we still have a quarter of the season left, which doesn't really feel like it. This is my first year of like really covering the team. Yeah, me, me too. I mean, same for, for Boston and mainly for Sacramento for myself. Um, like, and this is a, a little bit random, but like I saw Toronto two days ago. I think maybe it was yesterday. I think it was Did you see Nick Nass? I did. You should have oh, yeah, told him shout, shout out from Birmingham, UK. <laughs> right, right. Did you see the quote, by the way? from uh it was an audio clip of somebody that was talking about an interaction they had with nick nurse when they went and saw him coaching a g league team did you see this 
No, please and enlighten me. He was sharing, I, I'm going to have to bleep myself out, but he was sharing something. The, the guy went down there and was watching him coach, and Nick Nurse was talking defense, and he's like, we always want you helping off that strong side corner. We want you to dig down hard on the guy. And he's like, you know, I didn't say anything to him in practice, but after I was like, coach, kind of like, what are you doing? You ne- you're never supposed to help off strong side corner. And he's like, man, this is G League. That guy's never going to pass. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that, is, that, that sounds about right. But, yeah, when I saw Toronto, um, they are so much fun to watch. I, I've watched I, – I can't – I'm super into Toronto now. Their defense is ridiculous. They're so locked in. And Norman Powell, who just got player of the week in the Eastern Conference, is just ridiculous all of a sudden. See, my sweetheart teams are usually the rebuilding teams with one or two great young guys that are just fun to watch. By the way, shout out to Terry Rozier for dropping 40 yesterday. Did you see that? I did not see that. Yeah, Terry had 40 in a double overtime game. You have no clue. Dude, double overtime of Charlotte and Atlanta. <laughs> you have no clue. <laughs> double overtime of Charlotte in Atlanta is chaos. Let me tell you that. I'm going to go and watch that game now. I'm going to send you the clip that I uh, put up on Twitter of Terry with a ridiculous shot to get to 40. But yeah, there's, there's uh, it, it was definitely quite a game, but yeah, I mean, every night in the NBA, there's games like this, you know? Yeah. My it, sweetheart team at the minute, probably, um, probably Memphis. Yeah. It's probably okay. Memphis and Chicago. Yeah. Every time I'm watching Memphis, I'm just like, man, you need to lose. You need to lose. I'm really, every time I'm watching Sacramento. Memphis, I'm like, man, I, uh, Dude, I just really enjoy watching young guys tear up the league. I don't know yeah. what it is. I've always had I've had a spot, so, spot soft spot for Minnesota since Jimmy Butler was there because I got a close friend that you know, Blake, who was just he is a Jimmy Butler fan. You know, like there's guys that like oh, teams, there's a guy that, that likes players. I know I hate it too. But he followed Jimmy everywhere, right? And when Jimmy went to Minnesota, I was super into it because I was like, Oh man, this team could really be something right now, you know? They, they got something going there. And Jimmy left, and for some reason, I've just still stuck with Minnesota, and I think they're really interesting. Like, you know, I to love Beasley. Sorry, to, quit. to this day, yeah, that Jimmy trade when he left Minnesota was my first hot take. To cancel oh. Well, me and you first started podcasting all those years back. Well, yeah, you two, said he'd be on by the All-Star break. And you were on right. the first ever really? podcast we did. And uh, yeah, a couple of weeks later he went and I was so justified in myself. I never stopped podcasting or writing. Yeah, soon. yeah. You know, it's funny. Robert Covington's last game as a Timberwolf was in Sacramento and Jimmy Butler's last game as a Timberwolf was in Sacramento. Super random, but yeah. It's where, where careers go to die. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Ask Deadman. Yeah, exactly, dude. You go to Sacramento when there's no other team willing to take you. <laughs> I'm, I'm just jawing dude I'm jawing right guys yeah. thank you to listen it descended into chaos at the end but sometimes it's nice to get to know the guys that you're listening to for yeah, an hour you ready for my last thing real quick Buddy Heald's requesting a trade this summer it's my hot take that's your hot that take hot. it's not even that hot I'm pretty confident okay then so what team do you feel would be most likely to be at the forefront of negotiations see, see this is what I don't understand because a playoff team can't really use Buddy Heald. Like, you see how Lou Williams gets abused? Buddy Heald is just like that. Like, he's one of the worst defenders you've ever seen in your life. It's just terrible. So it's rough. So it's got to be one of these, like, middle-of-the-pack teams. Like, maybe even, like, Atlanta. Are they interested? But 
then like you kind of have Herder. So I don't know. I, I'm still not sure on where he's going. It's going to be one of these middle of the pack teams though. There's a hot take. I like that hot take. We're going to, um, I want to monitor that situation like a hawk. Yeah, you should have seen the, the last game, that Toronto game, Sacramento's down three with 13 seconds left, and Luke Walton doesn't put Buddy in the game. I saw, and I saw and heckling him as well. Like, how do you do that? And Buddy three didn't play point, the entire fourth three quarter. Three-point champion. Right, he Why didn't play he the entire the fourth quarter. The entire fourth quarter. And Buddy, like, there's crazy plays going on. The entire Sacramento bench is up cheering. Buddy does not get out of his seat. Like, he looks so unhappy. Yeah, it's going to come down to who stays, Walton or Buddy. Yeah, and it seems like it's Bogey or Buddy, too. Who'd you choose? Bogey. There we go. Right, guys, you've been listening to Around the League. It's the one podcast per week where we don't talk Celtics. We've changed the Friday show from a GM show to a special guest show. So every week now I'm going to make sure that, well, I'm going to try my hardest to get you a special guest. So last week it was Sean Grande, Grande, Grande. Which was a great episode, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Um, It's about like Ariana Grande. So I'm going with Sean Grande. Um, (laughs) (laughs) However, she did say on a radio interview that it was Grande. Anyway, I digress. This week, we've got another special guest, as of last time. I'm not going to tell you who that is. You can find So you're out. listening to Ariana Grande radio interviews? Is that what I'm getting here? No comment. Um, oh, sure, sure. I mean, I'm not personally. Blame it on your daughter. Blame it on your daughter. There we yeah. go. There we go. Yeah, For sure. Um, <laughs> friends and hats. You couldn't have waited until we got off caught. air. So. Caught. No, caught. I mean, she's... Uh, <laughs> She's very talented. Oh, okay. we'll see you. Again. We'll catch you guys later. So, bye, Brendan. Bye, bye.